I'm uh, very grateful that Stephen Ryan, our worship director, works so diligently to, to pick songs that really fit the theme of what we're walking through as we walk through the word together as a congregation. Sending the light. And I love that that song covers specifically the gospel light. It is the light that is Jesus who came into this earth as a man, perfectly embodied who God was and who God is, and he died for sinners like you and me. And that's the message that we get to share with the world. It's a beautiful message, and, and I'm so grateful that in these next three weeks, I've been uh, given the opportunity to preach the word and to share with all of you what I've been learning and what the Lord's been teaching me and growing me in. And so we're taking a little break from our normal routine that we've been in. We've been walking through the book of John, and, and that's been more of what we call an expositional type of preaching, which is, is usually what we do here at FCC. This means that we walk through the word, we, we stay in a passage specifically, and we walk through diving in and pulling out what, what is in the text and so today and the next two weeks is going to be a little different. We're, we're taking a break from our normal routine, and it's going to be more of a topical series. However, whenever we do a topical series, I want to clarify that we are still preaching the word. The goal of uh, us preaching a topical series is not to, to stray away from using the word. No, the word is the foundation for what we are preaching. And so I say that because the series we're preaching on is cultural engagement. And today is going to be foundation building. Because this is a three-week series, today we are building the foundation to why cultural engagement is important, why it is biblical, and why it is part of our mission as the church. And in the next two weeks, we're going to get into the, the how. The how we can effectively engage with the culture for the sake of of sending the light of the gospel. And so that's what we're going to be in for the next three weeks. That's our, our time. And my prayer during this time is that the Lord would grow us, would grow myself and all of you, right? We as a church body, as a congregation, that we would grow in our understanding of the mission. We would grow in our heart for people. And we would grow in our testimony for Jesus. That's my specific prayer that I've been praying, and that's what I'm going to pray right now. So if you would bow your heads, let's pray before we dive in. Lord, I want to thank you because you have given us this light. You have given us this message. You have given us your word, and Lord, you've given us this for a purpose. I pray, Lord, that you would use your word to grow us. Grow us in our understanding of your son Jesus and how he lived. Grow us in how we treat other people and how we view other people the way that Christ views people like us. Lord, grow us in your love today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start with a, a story an overarching story of scripture that we see, an overarching theme that is constant from the beginning of scripture all the way to the end. 
because in the beginning of this story, in Genesis, we see that God created mankind with a purpose. He created Adam and Eve with a very specific purpose, and this purpose was to fill the earth, right? They were, they were to be fruitful and multiply. Now, in this, we get in the account of creation that mankind was created specifically in the image of God. What this means is that mankind was created, obviously mankind is different from God, we can, we can see that, that's very obvious. So being an image of God does not mean that mankind was to be the exact representation. Being image bearers of God means that mankind was meant to reflect God's glory in their lives. They were to reflect characteristics of God, the nature of God in their lives and in how they lived. And so when they filled the earth, then all of the earth would be reflecting God's glory. That was the purpose for mankind. However, we know the story. We know that Adam and Eve failed in this task. They failed in this mission. They failed in representing God's glory to the world because they disobeyed God and they did what was evil in his sight. They sinned and caused all of sin to enter into mankind. Luckily, God uses that to still show his glory because he was merciful with Adam and Eve. Instead of killing them on spot for their disobedience as he promised was to happen, he showed mercy, he spared them, and he instead covered them with animal skin. So God, going forward, has a new plan for creation. He still wants to fulfill that initial purpose of, of showing his glory through the earth, yet he is going to use a different group of people. He's still going to use mankind, but it's going to be a different group of people. And so this is where Israel comes in. We come to Adam, uh, Abraham, who is the seed coming all the way from Adam and Eve. We get all the way coming down to Abraham. And Abraham is told he is going to, God tells him, you are going to bless the nations. And through you, I'm going to give you a blessing, your nation a blessing. And I'm going to bless the nations by your descendants. And so God is planning to show through Abraham's descendants his glory. And that's where the people Israel come in. In fact, in Exodus 19... Verses five through six, God says, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel, God tells to Moses. They were to be set apart, a holy nation, showing the rest of the world showing the nations that God is the one working in us, that God is the one that saves, that God is the one to be glorified. That was their task. And as we know, Israel also failed in that task. In Psalm 96.3, the psalmist says, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Israel knew that they were to do this. Yet instead, there were two different ways, two different ways that Israel failed. Either they secluded themselves 
and did not go out to the nations telling of God's glory, or they went out to the nations and instead of telling about the glories of God, took on other gods. They took on the cultures that they were, they were going into. They took on the religions and the problems of the nations that they were going into. And so Israel did not obey God and bear his image correctly. God knew this. He still had a plan. This is all part of his big plan. And that is why through Israel later on, we have a Messiah. God enters into humanity, becomes flesh by coming as Jesus Christ. And when he, he comes, he perfectly reveals who God is. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, the author of Hebrews says, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We see that Jesus, being God in the flesh, was able to accomplish what mankind up until that point could not accomplish. He was able to fully bear the image of God. He was able to perfectly represent his nature, his attributes, his goodness, his love, his glory to the world. And so we have been able to, have been able to grab a hold of that. The mission has been accomplished by Jesus. However, Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross because although he was the perfect representation of God, we as mankind who weren't representing God well, who were dead in our sin, who were far away from God, he wanted to bring us to him. He wanted to use mankind still for this purpose. And so Jesus died on the cross for our sins, paid the price that any who believe in him would have their sins forgiven completely. He rose from the grave three days later, ascended into heaven to be with the Father at the right hand. And as we've been talking about going through John, he sent his Holy Spirit, the helper, the one to come alongside. Those who put their trust in Jesus, have their sins forgiven, are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, they become a new creation, they are brought from death to life, and they are given a purpose, a purpose. So then those who believe in Jesus are part of this body that we call the church, the body of believers, and, and that's where we come in. We are the church. And because we have the spirit in us, because we have the example of Jesus, we also are able to share Jesus, the perfect image of God to the nations, fulfilling that mission that has been here since the beginning. That is why in Matthew 28, we're given that mission call. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I told you. All nations, so that they may know Jesus and God would be glorified and praised. We also see in the story of scripture that it doesn't end there. There is an end that is to come. 
that end is when Jesus returns again. And when Jesus returns again, he is going to conquer sin. He's going to conquer death. He's going to fully put an end to all wickedness, to all of the enemies, Satan, the demons, those who are against God. He's going to put an end to all of them. He's going to make a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. And everyone of every nation left, every tongue, no matter where they are from, they are going to be worshiping God for all all eternity. We get to see the fulfillment of God's initial plan for creation in Revelation in the end when every tongue, every nation, every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord and God is to be glorified. This is such a beautiful story. Believers, this is such a beautiful story that we get to see throughout scripture from the beginning to end of God working through mankind, no matter how disobedient, he works through them to show off his beauty and his glory and his majesty and his goodness. And so we believers, you know, we look at this story and we have, to, we have to think, all right, where do we fit in? Well, we are in, in the church period. We're not at the point yet where all the world is worshiping God. We're not there yet. We know that. We see that in our, our world. Yet we have a purpose. We look forward to the hope that Jesus will return. We know that he is coming and we know that all the earth will praise him. But while we are here, we have a mission to fulfill. We have a task. And so we want to fulfill that carefully and correctly. And so I'm going to be talking about this specific mission. It's actually part of our vision statement here at FCC. The first part is passionately loving God, which leads to us sacrificially loving others, which then leads to us courageously making disciples of Jesus Christ. Our mission is clear. Our mission is crystal clear. It is to make disciples of Jesus. Not disciples of Greg, not disciples of Stephen, not disciples of the church, disciples of Jesus. That they may know him and praise him and share his message to the world. Our mission is crystal clear. And so we now, knowing this mission, we have to look, Lord, how can we effectively fulfill this mission? And that's where we come to this topic of cultural engagement. Because there are specific ways that Christ has instructed us to fulfill this mission. There there are some ways that he's given us some hints on how to do this well. And so if if we could put on the board Acts 1.8, if we could put on the screen Acts 1.8. This is another part of the mission that Christ gave to his disciples. This is right before he ascended. He says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, as we look at this mission, we see that there's some clear instruction, you know. So for for the, the disciples at the time, they were part of Jerusalem. They were Jews. Jerusalem was their comfort zone. These are the people they knew. This is the people that they grew up with. This is the people that they understood, the culture that made sense to them. 
And so for Jesus to say, be my witnesses to these people, yeah, they're going to persecute you because they don't like the message, but at least you know them. At least you, you understand where they're coming from. At least you know the culture well. But he didn't stop at just Jerusalem. He then says, be my witnesses in all Judea. Now this is right around encompassing Jerusalem. It's the area around it. But this is still pretty comfortable for the disciples. This is still an area that they know well. This is still an area that that is part of the culture they're used to. So Jesus doesn't stop there. He then says, in and Samaria. Now wait a minute. We walked through this as we went through the book of John. We know about Samaritans. And we know about their relationships with the Jews. We know that they're enemies. We know that they don't like each other. We know that there's terrible disagreements. We know that Jews won't even walk through Samaria because they don't want to interact with them. Yet Jesus is telling his disciples, you are to be my witnesses here, there, and even to your enemies, even to the people who hate you, even to the people that that there are cultural barriers from because the gospel transcends barriers. It goes past those walls. It goes past those those divides that keep people separated, the gospel brings people together. It is the good news for all. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He then says, you're going to be my witnesses even to the remotest part of the earth. That means to the ends of the earth of people you may have never encountered, languages you've never even heard of, Who knows what gods they worship? Who knows how they function? Who knows what cultural divides you are going to come about from? It doesn't matter. Be my witnesses, is what Jesus is telling his disciples. And so when we look at this, we see that there is a need to engage with different cultures, to reach different people for the gospel of Jesus. Now, I keep throwing around this phrase cultural engagement, and we're going to be using it in the next three weeks. And so I want to define some terms real quick, because when we hear the word culture, there are different definitions we can think of. There are different ideas we can think of. And and I know for me, when I hear about culture, there's a kind of fear that comes about of what, what does that mean? Well, according to Oxford Dictionary, culture is defined by the customs, the arts, the social institutions, the achievements, and values of a particular nation, people, or social group. This covers a broad definition. This means that people can be divided culturally by many different things. They could be divided by music. That could divide cultures. They could be divided by race. They could be divided by religion, by their background, where they grew up. They could be divided by economic positions how much their families made growing up. They could be divided by generations. There's even cultural divides amongst us as a congregation. I'm 27 years old, and there are different generations represented here in this congregation, and we come from very different cultures. And we still get to worship together. Ain't that beautiful? Cultures can be divided by geography, different parts of the earth. There are many different ways that cultures are divided, and people are represented, or or ways that people feel they identify. And so we, as the church, when we look at these cultures, we have to think of ways to engage with them. Now this doesn't mean go into the cultures and soak up what they have because different cultures have different things that aren't good, right? 
There are things that are good. Different doesn't mean bad. There are things that are good in each culture, and there are things that are bad in each culture. For instance, here in America, we have a good understanding of justice. It comes from our, our background. It comes from the way we do law and order. We have an idea of justice and, and what it means to be fair and right because we have this set in our culture. And so when we look at God who says he is the righteous judge, we have a good understanding of what that means. We really can relate to that. And that comes from our culture. That's a good thing. However, you go to an Asian culture, maybe justice isn't as honored to them. But there's other things that they value. In Asian cultures, they value honor. And they put shame as a motivator for living right. You know what? That represents attributes of God. He is to be honored. He is to be glorified. And there is a shame when we dishonor God. And so we see that in different cultures... There are different ways we can see attributes of God, but there are dangers for going into a culture. There are dangers for engaging. In the same way Israel, when they engage with different nations, there are many different scenarios where they would start worshiping their gods or performing their rituals. That's not what I mean by cultural engagement. And we do see that in the church today. We know of churches that in the attempt to reach the culture, they have sacrificed truth. And they've sacrificed God's glory in their lives. That's not what I'm calling for. When I talk about cultural engagement, I mean entering in to these cultures, gaining understanding of where people come from, what they know, for the purpose of sharing truth with them in love, for the purpose of reaching them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that is what I mean when I talk about cultural engagement. So in the next three weeks, whenever you hear that phrase, cultural engagement, think of that. Think of that specifically. So for us to do this well, for us to do this effectively, there are some things that the church needs to be. There are some ways that the church needs to live, and there are some ways that, that we can mess this up. And so we need to be aware of those things. And so... I'm going to read real quick Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, in which Paul says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, he's talking about the church, those who have put their trust in Jesus. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so for us to be able to engage with cultures for the sake of the gospel, the church needs to be humble. The church needs to be humble. The people of God need to be humble. Now, when we think of humility, there's an idea of, uh, uh, that some people have of just kind of putting yourself down. And I heard a definition once from a preacher that I really enjoyed. He said, humility is not thinking of uh, thinking less of yourself. He said, humility is thinking of yourself less. And so humility is not, I'm awful, I'm bad. Humility is taking the focus off of you and putting it onto others. Thinking of others more than yourself. That is what humility is. And Christ perfectly exemplified that 
as we're told in Philippians 2 when he took on the cross for mankind. He took on the cross for his enemies. He took on the cross for those who, who were against him, who were slandering him and hurting him because he was full of humility. And so the church needs to be humble. The church also needs to be gentle. We're commanded to preach truth, but we're also to, commanded to do that in meekness and gentleness. There's a way that we preach truth firmly while also being gentle and caring for the other person. The church needs to be compassionate. When I think of compassion, I think about feeling for someone, right? This kind of like empathetic feeling. This is why I put understanding on the list. It's knowing where they're coming from and having a burden for that person, having a a love for that person from the situation that they're in. The church needs to be kind. Now, the, the word kind, right, this idea of kindness seems very simple, and it is very simple, however, it's hard. I know that because I struggle with kindness on a regular basis. But the church needs to be kind. And the church needs to be patient with people. We are fully aware that there's sin in the world. We're fully aware that others are blaspheming God. We're fully aware that there are people out to hurt us. They may even be people we trust and love. But the Lord has showed so much patience toward his creation as we saw in the story from the very beginning until the very end. Even now, the Lord is patient. The Lord is patient with me. He is so patient with me. And the church needs to be patient with others. In contrast, the church is not to be prideful. We are to be humble, but we are not to be prideful, focused on ourselves, boasting in ourselves. We boast in God. That is who we boast in. The church is not to be mean. You know, I talked about kindness, but it's so easy for us to be mean. It's so easy for me to be mean. Even when I, you know, when I let my guard down and I'm not thinking about Jesus, it's so easy for me to be mean. When somebody messes up my order at, at a restaurant, it's so easy for me to think, what is wrong with them? But how silly is that, right? Like, there's no place for us to be mean, church. There's none. And I share struggles of being mean because I know that it's hard, but there's no place for it. It hurts our testimony. The church cannot be mean. The church cannot be harsh. The church cannot be uncaring. We have to care about people. We have to care about their needs. This is what almost the whole letter of James is talking about our works backing up our faith. What is the point of saying to someone who is in need, be well, if you're not giving them what they need? We need to be caring for others. The church is not to be judgmental or with prejudice. In James, we also see that there's examples of of ways the church can do that. James gives instruction to his congregation. If you have a a wealthy man walk in dressed really nice and you find him a really good seat and you you pay all this attention to him, but then you have a poor guy walk in, someone who's not as appealing, someone who, who might not benefit your church as much and you just ignore him or put him in the corner, you are hurting the gospel. 
James tells us the church can't do that. We can't show that prejudice. And you know what? God doesn't show that judgment or prejudice because he was able to forgive a sinner like me. Christ died for all. However, only those who put their trust in him can be saved. And so the church needs to be living out all these characteristics. In Galatians 6, verse 10, Paul kind of sums up all these things when he gives the instruction to the church in Galatia. He says, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. Church, we really got to be good to one another. When we're good to one another, when we love each other as the church, like I mentioned, there's divides here. There's cultural divides. Yet we love one another. Bill Conard and I are very different. Yet we love one another. And we're able to fellowship and worship and praise Jesus together. When we do good to one another, you know what the rest of the world sees? God's love and glory. They might want a piece of that. And so that's when we're instructed by Paul, you know, especially do good to, the, to those who believe, but he does say do good to all people. Well, what about the, the person who cut me off while I was driving on the route, road? <laughs> do good to all people. What about the, the person who hurt my friend physically? Do good to all people. What about the person who slandered me and called me names and, and, and just was nasty for years and years and years? Church, do good to all people. Now, this doesn't mean that we are to be weak. It doesn't mean that we have to allow people to hurt us or take advantage of us. But we are called to do good to all people. And so I gave a lot of instruction here on how the church is to live and different ways that we are to live. But if I, if I wanted to give you the cheat code on how to do this, right, if I wanted to give you the easy way to do this, I would share Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, which I'm going to do right now. I'm going to give you this, this easy method for doing this. Paul gives it to us when he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Church, how do we be more humble, gentle, patient, kind? How do we do good to people? We imitate God. We follow in his footsteps. We love others the way that Christ loved us. We walk in him. That's how we accomplish this task. Jesus is the perfect image of God. And so if we follow him and we imitate him, we're gonna succeed. That's how we succeed as the church. So I wanna share about people. Jesus viewed people a very particular way. As we've been walking through the book of John, we see examples of this. He met with tax collectors, harlots, Pharisees. There were so many people that Jesus came encounter with, and we get to see how he loved them, how he preached truth perfectly while loving them perfectly. 
We see this example because Jesus had on the forefront of his mind people. And so we also need to have at the forefront of our mind people. In Ephesians 6.12, church, we're told, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Church, we are in a battle. We are in a war. But we are not to be agents of war against people. We are to be agents of war for people. There's a battle happening for the souls of people. Satan and his army is working diligently on a daily basis to blind those who don't know Jesus so that they cannot know him. Satan is working to take away those who are in Christ from doing the work that he has for you. He is working diligently to keep those who are lost, lost. Yet God is working through his church to win souls. And we are part of that battle. We are part of that war. And we need to pick up our armor and fight in it for people. There have been many examples of ways the church has done this wrong. We hear countless stories of people who have been hurt by people who claim to know Jesus. We hear countless stories of people who who go away from the church because of bad examples of Christ-likeness. We look at the crusades in history, people who claim we are fighting as agents for Jesus, yet they harm and they kill and they destroy. That is not what it means to fight the battle. And because of this bad representation, we as a church need to work harder. And we need to be more diligent, more diligent to love the way that Christ loved so that people don't hold on to the hate that they've been shown. Christ is powerful enough to win the battle. He was powerful enough to conquer death and sin. He's powerful enough to work in someone like me. He's powerful enough to work in the church. That is why Paul rested on the gospel. That is why Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Christ is able to bring dead people to life. That is the power we have, church, that we get to share this message that has power. We get to share Jesus that has power. And so, I'm going to end with a few encouragements, things to take away. And I, and I, I did mention in the next two weeks, we're going to talk about specific ways that we could be fulfilling this mission. But I, I'm going to call us to something specific this week. I want us to think about something this week that we can keep in our hearts, keep in our minds. Church, cultural division isn't just about outreach. Cultural division happens in the church, in the congregation. Sometimes we miss out on opportunities of unity because of these cultural divisions. Let's not do that. Let's be unified. We may not completely relate with one another, but we love Jesus and we love one another. Let's show the world that unity by getting rid of the cultural divides that divide us as a congregation, as a church. And, and let's be aware 
of the cultures around us. Let's look around at the people around us, the differences that they have, and view them the way that Jesus views them. Where these backgrounds don't matter, these differences don't matter. What Jesus sees is a lost soul in need of salvation. What we need to start seeing are lost souls in need of salvation. And so church, as we seek to be more like Jesus, let's live out these characteristics. Love, patience, humility, compassion, kindness, and allow these things to back up the message that you are preaching. When you go out, the way that we're called to go out and make disciples, preach truth, but live out these characteristics. Live out love, live out humility, live out Christ-likeness, so that when people hear your message, they are drawn to the gospel of Jesus. That's what we need to do to be effective in this mission. So let's walk in Christ-likeness on a daily basis so that we can fulfill this mission effectively. Let's pray. Lord, I am in awe that you have loved us so greatly. Lord, from the beginning of creation, mankind has turned away from you, mankind has disrespected you, mankind has disobeyed you, mankind has hurt you, yet Lord, you have shown your grace and mercy. And here we are today, Lord, in, in 2022. And in this room, we have a, a lot of people who are saved by grace. Saved because we know your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would grow all of us in that love. You would grow all of us in our understanding of the gospel and the depth of the gospel that we would hold on to the mission you've given us to go out and be witnesses of this truth to lost people. Lord, grow us this day to glorify your name and share your truth in love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.